meu
the establishment is just better. And then, beginning here, Paul starts to explain why it's better, why Jesus is better, why His ministry is better, and why the covenant is better, and why the promises are better. And so he's, he's, a, he's, he's making the argument that, that uh, it's okay. It's, it's, not, it's not disregarding God and what God did through Moses when you turn your heart to Jesus and live under the law of the Spirit of life now. Okay? So, so that's the introduction of verse 6. And, and then verse 7 is sort of a... Uh, uh, and, and, I'm, and I'm, I'm sort of wanting to get to the quotation because these verses, most of these verses are a quotation out of Jeremiah 31. And that's what I want to get to because uh, that's the meat of it. So verse 7, If that first covenant had been faultless, then should no place have been sought for the second. So Paul is challenging the, us as readers of the book of Hebrews, challenging that congregation that he's writing to, to consider that something was not fulfilled in the covenant that came through Moses that was needed. And that's, a, that's an important place to come to as a Jew to be able to confess that what we really need in life was not able to be established through uh, the covenant of Moses which was based on law because of our sinful nature. We've actually talked about that a lot, so I don't really want to belabor that point unless anybody has a thought here that they think needs to be said that Paul is simply saying we needed something different. It wasn't working. <laughs> we, were still, we were still sinning and, and, and you know the blood of animals did not completely cleanse us and set us free. We needed something better. That's trying to get us to come to that point of confession. Yes, I did need a better covenant. I needed a better mediator. I did need that. Now, the, John, the, pro, the new promises, the better promises. Yes. What do you think that is? Okay, good. So let's go to Jeremiah 31 where the quotation is. Okay, uh, so verse 8. And that's where we get to the better promises. Okay, so in verse 6 we introduce the idea of better promises. And then, and then the quotation is given out of Jeremiah 31, verses 31 to 34, where the new covenant is presented. And we have seven promises. For finding fault with them, he said, this is the quotation beginning, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, because they continue not in my covenant, and I regarded them not, says the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord. And so now we begin the promises, and I found seven promises that are presented in Jeremiah 31 that are the new covenant. And these are the better promises that were mentioned in verse 6. Okay, One, I will put my laws into their minds. Two, I will write them in their hearts. Three, and I will be to them a God. Four, and they shall be to me a people. Five, and they shall not teach every man his neighbor and every, every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all shall know me from the least to the greatest, 
6, For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness. 7, And their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. These are the seven promises of the new covenant. Okay, now if I counted wrong, if I counted too many or too few, you tell me, I found seven. And that's just me looking at it. Okay? So I thought we could just look at the seven promises. I mean, it's very helpful to know what God has promised you. I mean, it's, it's really helpful to know what God's promised you. Because if you don't know what God has promised you, then you don't know what to expect. And if you don't know what to expect from God, then you're confused. You don't know, you don't know what's what. You don't know what to expect out of this relationship with Jesus. But God told you very clearly, a long time ago, thousands of years ago, Jeremiah 31, through the prophet Jeremiah said, these are my promises in the new covenant that will come through Jesus, my servant. And so I want to know what these promises are. Because God says that in Jesus I, I, I get to take part in them. And, it, and that's a wonderful thing. So, so the first one, I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts. So now I want to open the forum. This is, so this is, this is in contrast to laws of the Old Testament through Moses where the laws were written on stone, tablets of stone, okay? In the Old Testament, and, the, and we talked about that yesterday, that the, the covenant on the tablets of stone were put inside the Ark of the Covenant, and then that was put inside the Holy of Holies in the tabernacle, and the mercy seat, and that was where you would meet with God. Now, in the New Covenant, God says there are laws... Okay, oh, it's not just freedom to do whatever you want. That's not what we're preaching. But the laws will be written on minds and hearts. So, what in the world does that mean? Anybody have a thought? Anybody have an idea? What does it mean that God's going to write His laws into our minds and write them on our hearts? You've got to be careful because... Sinners have a positive condemning button that whatever the sin they committed is greater than what the grace provides. So when the Bible says, when God says, I'll, I'll, he says this, by the way, uh, if you look at uh, verse 31, yep. a new covenant with the house of Israel and Judah. Mm-hmm. With both both houses, That's correct. meaning one is a rebellious house, the other is a praising house. One is a Gentile house, the other is a Jewish house. And so the the grace of God is saying, "I will. I don't care where you come from. You know, uh, uh, I'll put uh, I'll put my law in your heart to help you." To know the difference. Amen. Oh, amen. Yeah. I, th- I think you nailed it. We're talking about your conscience. Yes. Your conscience will be healed. Yes. Living under a condemned guilty conscience is not the new covenant. That's right. In other words, when the law is written on a tablet of stone in the Old Old Testament, you're looking, you're thinking about that tablet of stone Yes. And that's that's not in your mind. It's not in your conscience. John, there are people that are primarily PhDs on accusation and condemnation. <laughs> Amen. How many times <laughs> you ask God to forgive you? 
They have a degree. In other words, if my sin has is forever be brought before me every single day, I haven't tasted the grace of God and the love of God in the cross of Calvary. Yes. So the idea of of your conscience being clean and knowing that you're free to live for God. So so let's look, for instance, uh, at Mark 12 verses 30 to 31, because um, well, go ahead, go ahead. Let's just read it. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. This is the first commandment. And the second is like, namely this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is none other commandment greater than these. Okay, so the law of love. That's a very, you know, we're, you know, we're all came from a Wesleyan background, Methodist heritage, right? The law of love. We, we, man, we just love that. Now, this isn't any weak, wimpy love, and so we're not talking about love that's based on feeling. We're talking about the love of God here. We're talking about true love and the law of love where you are able to love God and love others. And so when you're talking about the law of the spirit of life that is based on these two commandments, then suddenly the Christian is free to love God and free to love others. So it's actually the law. That, that's why Paul says in Romans 8, it's the law of the spirit of life. It's laws that give life. You are, you are free to have a pure relationship with God because, as Pastor Rick said, there's no condemnation anymore. So you're free to love God. You're free to have that law of love deep inside of your heart and know that there's nothing that separates you from God anymore. And if there's anything condemning you, that's trying to put down, harass, and make you think that God is, is just constantly mad at you and your sins are not covered, then, then that's of the devil. That is not one of the promises of the yes. new covenant. Yeah, the condemnation comes this way. A guy is accused of murder, goes to prison, serves 10 years in prison, joins the choir, and they don't want him. Yeah. Yes. That's right. You can't be in the choir. Even though even though Moses killed somebody, right? That's right. Right? Even though Moses, uh, David right. killed a bunch of people. That's right. All right? Uh, but David was the praise leader. That's right. What? You know, the, the, the guy who, who did his time and came to know the Lord and his life has changed, he can't be in the choir anymore? Yeah. That is condemnation. What is the second, John? The second what? Second, second thing you found out there about. Okay. Jim, I do it for so, all right. Put, thank you. Put laws into their minds. Write them in the hearts. So, so we're talking about the law of love. And so I want to read, to close this point, real quick, Colossians 3, verses 12 yes, to 17. Yes. Because this, I think, is a snapshot of what it means to have the law of the new covenant. Because, see, law is not something to put down. The laws of the new covenant are something that give life. This is what it looks like. Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do you. And above all these things, put on charity, which is the bond of perfection perfectness and let the peace of God rule in your hearts to which also you are called in one body and be ye thankful 
Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatever whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. So that's a snapshot of what it means to have the law of the spirit of life written in your mind and in your heart. Is this kindness, compassion, humility, gentleness, singing to God and praising the Lord and thanking Jesus that, that my sins are forgiven and I'm thankful and, and the peace of Christ is ruling in my heart. Those are, those, that, that, that's the law of the new covenant right there. Hallelujah. And forgiving others and being patient and kind. Number three, I will be to them a God. Now this idea that is presented in the Old Covenant as well, okay, this concept, it says, I will be to them a God. So God is promising that under the New Covenant that's administered by Jesus, He'll be our God. He's making a commitment to us. Now, in Leviticus 26, God says this, but it's conditional. It's conditional in Leviticus. So, because starting at verse 3 of Leviticus 26, and I'm not going to read the whole thing, it says, If you follow my decrees and are careful to obey all my commands. All right, then if you fast forward, okay, to verse 12, I will walk among you and be your God and you will be my people. So, the, the, the promise of the Old Covenant really is kind of conditional. If you follow my decrees and are careful to obey my laws. If you read in the book of Deuteronomy, and I can't remember the chapter now, I just thought of it, it lists the blessings and the curses. All the blessings you have if you follow the law, all the curses that you're going to experience if you don't. And so it's conditional. Okay, but in the new covenant, the promise that God will be our God is not conditioned upon our perfection. It's conditioned on the perfection of Jesus and His perfect sacrifice on the cross, which will never fail. So God's promise to be our God is not dependent on whether or not we have a good or bad day. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Right? Because do you ever, do you ever go through that emotional roller coaster where you have a good day and you feel like you didn't sin a lot and you feel like God's happy with you? And then you have a bad day and you know you sinned a lot and you're just like, man, God hates me today. And you're just up and down. Whatever, whatever you feel about yourself, you just assume God must feel that way about you too. Well, that's not the promise of the new covenant. God says, I'll be your God. And then he says, you'll be my people. Okay, so, so Jason, will you find 1 Peter 2, 9 to 12? Because this is a repetition of this same idea. And I just, I just want to read a supporting scripture. So this is, this is promise number 4 out of the new covenant. New Covenant, that you be my people. So let's see what Peter says it means for us to be the people of God. Go ahead. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that you should show forth the praises of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, which in the time past were not a people but are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. 
Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul, having your <coughs> conversation honest among the Gentiles, that whereas <coughs> they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. Okay, that's wonderful. Thank you, Jason. So, so this is Peter writing, giving his understanding of what it means to be the people of God. So he says, in Christ you're a royal priesthood, right? What are some of the other things? What, what else Holy is stated nation. there? Holy nation. Peculiar people. Peculiar people, chosen people, um, God's own possession. Okay, a lot of a lot of things mentioned here in Peter about what it means to be God's people. I mean, Peter Peter knows Jeremiah thirty one. He knows that one of the promises is, "You be my people." In the new covenant, you will be my people. But that but you've got to put some content into what it means to be. God's people. You can't just say you belong to God and, and that's it. What does it actually mean, Emily, to you that you belong to God? You, you have a thought on that? Or Jason or Pastor Rick? What does it mean that you belong to God, that, that you're one of God's people? Um, first, just that I have that personal relationship with Him. And my personal relationship with Him is different than your relationship with Him. Mm -hmm. Amen. You, you can be personal with God. You know, Pastor Rick talked about that a lot yesterday. Is that the tabernacle, God said to Moses, you come to the mercy seat where the cherubim are, and I'll meet you right there. I'm going to meet you there. Well, you know, the normal Israelite didn't get to meet God there. That was only a few people got to do that. And then the rest of the people just got to sort of, by association, be God's people. But in the New Covenant, it's saying that you all be my people, and then we're about to go to the next part, the personal relationship, you all know me, but we'll get there in a minute. So, uh, the, the passage out of 1 Peter, there's two things that I want to highlight. One, Peter says that if God's people are people who have received mercy. Peter doesn't say that God's people are the ones who do everything right all the time. Peter says God's people are the ones who have received mercy through Jesus Christ. That's who God's people are. You put your faith and trust in Jesus. You receive His mercy. You're God's people. But second, so we have a personal benefit, obviously. Right? We get to experience the mercy of God by the grace of Jesus on the cross and ministered to us by the Holy Spirit. But also, there's a responsibility. Now, that now Peter, Peter shows that very clearly as well. There's a responsibility when you become one of God's people. I mean, remember at the end of, in the end of the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus says to the disciples, go and make disciples. He gave them responsibility. And, and Peter does the same thing. He says, you have a responsibility to proclaim the virtues of Him who called you in this world. In other words, God gave you this life to do something for the kingdom. 
Don't you waste it sitting around doing nothing. Whoa. I hope I didn't just make anybody mad there. Maybe I did. Maybe you needed to be woken up today. Abstain from evil desires and conduct yourselves with honor. So there's some responsibility that's involved with being the people of God. And so this idea that, uh, you know, you come, you come to Jesus and you have your sins forgiven and then you go live your life however you want to, that's not in the Bible. I hate to tell you. I mean, if, that, if, that's, if that's the Christianity that, you, that you're trying to live out these days, man, I'm here to listen to me. That, that's not in the Bible. Read the Bible and you will not find it anywhere. When you come to God and you receive the mercy of God, immediately God is saying, you're mine now, and there's a lot of benefits of coming to me, but I, but I got some things for you to do in this world, and so listen to me. You can't just go off and do whatever you want. I, I need to use you. Go ahead, Jason. Yeah, that, um, that's, I think that is said in the idea of peculiar people. Yeah. That just means people that are set apart, yeah. people that are, are different than the world. And Romans hits that a little bit. Romans 14, yeah. he talks about everybody has different things that God's going to require of them, mm-hmm. different things that are holy through the Lord that Amen. make them set apart. And so the, lo- the law of love looks different for different people. It Amen. sets them apart. Yeah. God Thank requires you, something. Okay, so what's the Lord asking you to do? Are you trying to squirm out of it? <laughs> Don't do it. Proclaim the virtues of Him who called you. Abstain from evil desires and conduct yourselves with honor. So you are to be, God says, you be my people. That's another promise. Number five, you shall all know the Lord from the least to the greatest. Now we get to the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. Right? That for the Christian, God had promised that we receive the Holy Spirit. And that when the Holy Spirit comes, He'll teach us. And so this is, this is going to what Emily was saying and where we referenced that, you know, knowing the Lord was not something... Now, they knew, the Israelites knew the laws, okay? But that's not the same as being able to meet with God at the mercy seat, the Ark of the Covenant. Now, in the New Covenant, the Holy Spirit is released into the world at Pentecost. And every believer, every single believer who wants to know the Lord has got to be open to the Holy Spirit. It can't be your mind somehow reaching God through intellectual ascension. I'm sick of that stuff. The Spirit of God has got to empower us and teach us how to know the Lord. Because honestly, in my mind, I have no idea how to approach God. The Spirit of God has got to move inside of me to help me know the Lord. Well, John 16, verses 7 through 11, and I'll read it for the sake of time. Jesus says, Very truly, I tell you, it is good for you, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the Advocate will not come. But if I go... I will send him to you. So Jesus died. He rose again and then he ascended into heaven. And after the ascension, right, ten days later, he did what he promised. 
the Holy Spirit came in power and began to empower the church. And for all who believe, the Holy Spirit is available. It's a promise. And the Holy Spirit of God teaches us to know the Lord. So are you open to the Holy Spirit? I hope that you are. If you don't, if this is foreign to you, if you don't have any idea what I'm talking about, then call me up and we'll, get, we'll come to Rekindle the Flame. We'll get you on a trip. And we will introduce you to the Holy Spirit. Number six, God will be merciful to their unrighteousness. God will be merciful to their unrighteousness. We talked about this a little bit, but I want to read Ephesians 2, 3. It says, All of us also lived among them at one time, meeting those who were sinful, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts like the rest. We were by nature deserving of wrath. So all of us really deserve the wrath of God. And I don't, this is not a fire and brimstone preaching sermon by any means, but it's true. All of us. I mean, I, I did. I mean, what? There's nothing, there's nothing in me that I could come to God and say, you should have mercy on me, God. I'm, I'm pretty okay. <laughs> you know? I mean, what a prideful, presumptuous thing to do. God will look at me and say, you have no idea how sinful you are, Jonathan Dunn. You don't even, you don't even know how, all the depths of your sins, your own sins. You're fooling yourself. You, you need Jesus. And I'll have mercy on you, but you've got you to gotta put your faith in the blood of Jesus. That's where your cleansing comes from. Seven, sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. And I'll close with these, with these verses. We confess our sins. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Acts 2.38, And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 1.7, In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace. Praise God for the better promises, the seven promises of the better covenant found in Jeremiah 31 administered to us by the person of Jesus standing at the right hand of God, interceding for us every single day. I hope you're encouraged this morning. Think about the seven promises that God has, has given to you through Jeremiah 31 and, and claim them today. Have a great day. We'll see you. We'll see you tomorrow morning, nine o'clock. Senhor, eu vejo o mundo triste, atribulado pela ação de Satanás. Clamando no escuro, correndo e olhando para trás E eu vejo de coração até